Welcome to the InnoStation podcast. We cover stories of entrepreneurship and innovation across the four Ds of the energy transition. Tune into the show and get inspired. I am Ignacio Luque, CEO and co-founder of Silvat, a 2019 startup that is developing melting silicon storage technology that can turn intermittent renewables into fully dispatchable energy sources available around the clock, regardless of the sun shining or the wind blowing. And welcome back, listeners. You're listening to InnoStation, your favorite podcast covering entrepreneurship and innovation in the energy transition. I'm your host, Alessandro Armenia, and today's guest is Ignacio Luque, CEO and co-founder of Silbat. Welcome to Innostation, Ignacio. Thank you, Ale. Good to be here. Good to be here and uh, good to have a Spaniard like me discussing together about uh, a new, uh, very innovative startup in the deep tech sector. So, Ignacio, without going into detail of the technology for solar thermophotovoltaics, which is a branch of solar photovoltaics, how did this spark evolve into Silbat? My father, co-founder of, of Silvat, is a highly decorated researcher in the PB field, now retired. He founded a renowned uh, international research center, which is the Institute of Solar Energy of the Technical University of Madrid, where many of the ideas that have been brought to Silvat were initially developed. And this is the case of the TPV cells, thermophotovoltaic cells. They are cells specially optimized to, let's say, capture the radiant heat. But also there are other applications, such as that of storing uh, electricity as molten silicon. You can imagine that in a PV research center, silicon has, is, a, is a very familiar material. And that's probably why this kind of technology also was born in this place. In the forefront of the energy transition, you had different startups in the field of renewables. Now, what problem does Silbert want to tackle today? I wouldn't say I'm a serial entrepreneur. I am a two, three companies entrepreneur. Why not? Why not? You have four companies. Okay, four, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but nevertheless, in this case, the very first ones, they were related to something which was called concentrator photovoltaics. That was, in a way, a shortcut to make photovoltaics much cheaper. I'm talking about the late 90s. At that time, concentrator photovoltaics promised to bring photovoltaics to become a, a massive electricity source. And we fought that battle for long. After that, we continued on that front, but only to realize that that, that battle probably was, was over. I mean, technology was no longer the way to turn photovoltaics cost-effective because scaling industrially had won the battle and it was mostly the Chinese industry, the, the one that had uh, finally scored that point. So we felt that we had to, to move to the, to the new frontier, as you were saying, in the advancement of, of renewables. And, and it's pretty clear that now it is about storage. We were needing longer duration storage and that's how it all started. And that's how we feel, again, at the forefront of uh, renewables. Fantastic. So, yeah, Silbat now is trying to tackle long-duration energy storage. Help me, Ignacio, because I'm not an expert of your technology, go through the details of your technology. Can you explain us better how the battery side works and the 
thermovotovoltaics and how can these be interconnected? Definitely. They are intimately connected. It is a battery. It turns electricity to thermal energy and then back into electricity. The concept behind, as you know, is about turning electricity into latent heat of fusion of silicon, the same silicon that is being used for solar or microelectronics, but less purified, something like 97% pure uh, silicon. It is a shiny metal like... Seems uh, aluminum foil. Yes, in a way, it it looks like aluminum foil. And the good thing about silicon is that it, it is not only very abundant, it is the second most abundant element in the Earth's crust, but it is also a material that has a very, very high latent heat of fusion. It has the second highest latent heat of fusion of the periodic table after boron, and that's why it is going to store energy very densely. So this silicon is inside a container which will be made of a refractory material that will be able to stand high temperatures. This cavity has to be very well thermally insulated because we are going to store heat inside and we will be having the electricity coming into the battery through resistors. Resistors protrude into the cavity and they raise the temperature inside the battery, inside the cavity, up to 14, 10 degrees centigrade, which is the melting temperature of of silicon. So when we reach the 14, 10 degrees, the silicon will start to melt. And when you have fully molten it, it is there that we say we have fully charged the battery. We do not want to go any further. We want to stay at 14, 10 degrees because it is important. We believe it is a key design element that we do not have extreme temperature changes in our operation that would ultimately bring thermal mechanical fatigue and things like that. So once we have fully molten the silicon, it is when we would be saying, okay, I want to withdraw this this energy again as electricity. What we now would be using is those so-called thermophotovoltaic cells. The thermophotovoltaic cells are very much like photovoltaic cells, but they are tuned to a radiant source that that isn't 5,700 Kelvin, such as is our sun, but the melting silicon. The last time I heard such a nice explanation was probably university times. (laughs) My professors. (laughs) Thank you. So we can summarize the technology. Let's say a container that has a battery and has a thermophotovoltaic panel. You store the energy under form of heat in the battery. The battery is made of molten silicon. And then when you want to deliver the electricity, you open the shutters, the heat hits the thermophotovoltaic, the silicon releases the heat under infrared radiation. So the thermophotovoltaic panel, which is tuned to absorb under infrared radiation, will then convert the power into the electricity. Yes. I mean, honestly, it's incredibly cool. You also anticipated one of my questions, which was the difference between uh, conventional solar panel and TPV. When we talk about the efficiency, you lectured me last time that it's not correct to compare the efficiency of thermophotovoltaic panels to respect to conventional. So I'd like to ask you why, and then to give us also some numbers. Yes, it is, let's say, quite intuitive. Because of this difference of of having the possibility to return radiation to your energy source, the definition of thermal photovoltaic efficiency is a different one from conventional photovoltaic. So far, 
in Silvat, we are working with single junction cells and germanium cells. And at that point, we are close to reaching 30% efficiency, EPV efficiency. That's, we would say, the first generation of, of our TPV what development. going to be the third generation like? <laughs> then, then, then you have to move, if you want to go for higher efficiencies, and they are possible, then you have to probably move into multi-junction cells and probably reach efficiencies in the medium term or in the, let's say, yes, medium term. Let's be optimistic. Okay. In the range of uh, 40 to 45% efficiency. So 30% for TPV is obviously very high compared to solar panels, but now we understood that they are not really comparable. That's uh, right. Solar panels usually lie around 20, maybe the best ones go to 25%, but we're talking about, you know, the best silicon solar panels. You already are on 30%. That's a big achievement. And this is only single junction. So let's see the evolution of Silva. But to respect to thermophotovoltaics, Ignacio, how does the landscape of this technology look like today? Oh, you, you know, this is a technology that has been around for quite a while. And thermophotovoltaics was started not so much later than the invention of modern photovoltaic cells in the 50s of the past century. It had a more, let's say, enthusiastic development at some stages. But I'd say that it has remained up until now, very much into the realm of research and development and, and laboratories and, and things like that. Why do you think so? I can only think that hasn't had a real competitive advantage compared to other devices, energy production devices, and in general, its value proposition wasn't, wasn't uh, attractive enough, probably until now, I would say, in which we truly see that it can be a, a very effective silent, solid state-based way in which to turn stored thermal energy into electricity. And this probably has only happened now when there is a worldwide focus on the problem of energy storage. So talking about a new battery technology, lithium-ion boomed with electric vehicles and pump storage operates on a larger scale supporting the electricity markets. So my question to you, Ignacio, is where can we place Silbat on this spectrum? Okay. Yes, you are completely right. Lithium-ion had been developed a long time ago, and it is only recently that, that the inventor of, of lithium-ion received the Nobel Prize, and it has strongly developed, mostly thanks to both portable applications and an electric vehicle. Pumped hydro is, we must remember, number one still today, probably 99%, 98% of the storage capacity in the world is pumped hydro storage. This, this, I would say, brings me to the point in which we, my father and I, in the very beginning of the company, uh, were doing our own techno-economic analysis of, of what could we apply this technology to. And we stepped into a very interesting paper published by a so-called Transic Lab in the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And they were asking themselves, okay, what kind of storage do we need to make renewables fully dispatchable and how to do it in a cost-effective way? And they got to two main figures. On the one hand, if you wanted to have an intermittent renewables energy plant with an availability of 95, 96% operating um, in a dispatchable mode, it wasn't enough with the sort of storage that 
lithium ion can provide in the range of four hours or things like that. No, you need you need more than intraday storage. You need intraday storage. And you need something like 100 hours in that range. It depends on your location because it will dictate the, the available resources, whether sun or wind or whatever. And the other point is, is less intuitive. It is a result of many calculations and simulations in this paper. And they, they ended up saying one thing which is important. You have to have a, an energy-related capex, which is below $20 per kilowatt hour. So energy-related capex is the installation capex of your battery, but only the energy-related parts. In, in, in many batteries to, of today, you can very well separate those elements that are related to the capacity of the battery from other parts that are related to the power of the battery. So they were referring strictly to the uh, energy-related part. And $20 per kilowatt hour to... Hydro and lithium-ion, what are their capexes? If you were to operate a lithium-ion battery for, for 100 hours, it would be a skyrocketing price, more than $100 per kilowatt hour, so way above that thre threshold. The, the case of pumped hydro is a bit different. These could be operated at 100 hours. Yes, they have that property that they can perform as LDS, as long-duration energy storage. And there are even some very good cases in which you have let's say, very big basins, and you can even get close to that, to the value of $30, $20. But in average, I would say that they are in the range of $80 per kilowatt hour. But still, pumped hydro has a, a major drawback. I mean, it is, it is location dependent. And, and on the other hand, it is a rather mature technology. So, so its learning curve is sort of exhausted. So, we, we will not get too big price uh, improvements in the future from this technology in principle. So now, can you reveal us the secret, <laughs> secret number of Silvata? Yes, when we, <laughs> yes, this is, this is being, let's say. You were trying to escape to say that number, Ignacio. <laughs> yeah, no, no, <laughs> trust me, I am not. I, I, when we, when we did our calculations, my father and I, and we did them many times and, and, and we made many mistakes till we got to the right figures because we every day found a different mistake and things like that. What we get now is something in the range of $13, $13 overall. So, so if we were to talk about only the energy-related CAPEX, it could be in the range of $10. It, to some extent, depends on how the prices of silicon vary. Okay. Just to summarize what we were saying before, hydro, uh, which is 98% of the existing energy storage technology, has 80 euro per kilowatt hour or less. That's right. Yes. And the advantage is that it's long duration. Then we have on the other side, lithium ion, which cannot be labeled as long duration. More or less four hours can be a good range for lithium ion. And still the capex is very high. So we're talking about more than 100 euros per kilowatt That's hour. Right. And then we have Silbat, which has an incredible 13 euro per kilowatt hour. And something that maybe we haven't discussed about is the duration of Silbat. How much does a Silbat battery last? So it's all about What's the application? If you if you want to go for firming of renewable energies, you go to, to the range of 100 hours to 50 hours, depending on if it is a baseload or a V-picker or a picker. If you want to go for arbitrage, you go to the range of 10 hours. 10 hours. But at the same time, we agree that Silbat can do 10 hours and can do 100 hours. That's Maybe right. the capex will change, but we're still in a very low range and we're very competitive. That's so right. 
Yeah. So yeah, that's that was the point that I I wanted to understand from you. Following up um, on the stage of your technology, at what stage is the thermophotovoltaic panel and the battery? Okay. Generally speaking, TPV cells are laboratory devices. They are small ones. Keep in mind, for example, that in the literature, when they are bigger than one square centimeter, they are called large area TPV. So our cell today is something like six centimeters times two centimeters. And then in our module, we have 10 cells in series. So ultimately, it is something like 120 square centimeters, probably one of the biggest modules in the world now in TPV. And now this, this module is being tested. We have got out of it very good photocurrents, efficiencies, and things like that. We have also started testing it in operating conditions in its battery. So if you were to ask me the, the stage of development, I would say it, is, it can easily be a TRL 5 to 6 in that range. Our plans, and we have them pretty much detailed, are to reach up ready-to-market product by 2026. So from there on, uh, we will be starting its commercialization. But you started at TRL1. Yes, absolutely. So this means that uh, you're going very fast. There's a very We, fast we are growth. going fast, but, but there is also an explanation for that. One of the things my father did when we co-founded Silvat was that he, lay, he had previously laid most of the technical foundations of the company. So there was a sort of blueprint of what we had to do. And the cells were among uh, them. In fact, we have two patents and one of two patents filed by, by Silvet, but the inventor is my father, Antonio, and one of them is, is related to this, to this TPV cell. On the other hand, all this development has been done in collaboration with the Institute of Solar Energy of the Technical University of Madrid. We have to thank Professor Ignacio Role and his team because they have been wonderful collaborators in this uh, development process, very much understanding our needs and so on, and, and getting to these results pretty quickly. I would like to now get to know a bit uh, better like some aspects of, of yourself. Uh, of your experience as an entrepreneur. Uh, we said in the beginning, Ignacio, that you founded four startups. And this one here, though, is a bit different because it's with your dad. How is it like working with your dad? Well, I mean, I am a product of my dad. So it is, <laughs> it, it is very easy. It has always been easy. I mean, we are a, a son and, and a father team that get along very well with we think very much alike. All my life, I, he's been one of my best friends, probably best. Uh, there is no no these rivalry problems. We we perfectly understand where everyone is and what's his place in life. And so, so all these things. I mean, there are many kind teams in in of of a startup founders. You can have you can have father and son. You can have you can have the couples. You can have brothers. You can have college mates. I think this is one of the best father and son. <laughs> that's, uh, that's very inspiring, Ignacio. And uh, listening to you, like you have full harmony with your dad. I have another question related. It's more personal, let's say. For example, when I was young, my dad was a tennis player. He was a very good tennis player. I always tried to imitate him or to make him proud. It was always a sort of meter of comparison. Did you ever have this feeling since your dad 
is a, an amazing scientist and you have reached so many successes. But along the way, did you ever have a feeling like that? Absolutely. Yes, I think I think that is very legitimate what happened to you. I mean, it is good in the education of your children. I have three for them to be willing to to make their parents fond of them. It did happen to me. But you know, in my particular case, it was so evident that I wouldn't ever reach his height that it did make me a humble person. You, you have to be humble and try and not be jealous. Go go through your path, go along your path and, and don't look to the sides. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. That's very inspiring. You also told me last time that you you like to be the owner of your of your destiny, right? Yes, that, that is also one of the reasons behind becoming an entrepreneur. You feel you're free. I mean, you feel you, you are the owner of our fate. And that's something that is not very true. I mean, you, you, you become your own slave. So, so, <laughs> so it, it is true that you are free and that you make your choices, but you have to work a lot and you find yourself enslaved timidly, but well, happily enslaved. I mean, you are a happy It's a golden slave. cage. <laughs> yes, it's a golden cage. Let's say. Thank you, Ignacio. Uh, I would like to finish with the three Innostation questions that we traditionally ask uh, to our guests. The first question is, if you could have a coffee with an innovator or a person that you admire, who would you choose and why? That's a difficult question because I usually do not have coffee to start with. Uh, but You can pick but, a different drink. Okay, yes, a beer. <laughs> then a beer. I must say, not only my father, but I come from a family of engineers. And one of the very early, let's say, entrepreneurs in my family was a man called Manuel Agustin Heredia. He became probably one of the fathers of the Industrial Revolution in Spain. He had foundries and iron mining, and he had his own fleet of ships to carry the steel to all, all his customers in the world. And if I were to have a beer uh, with someone, I think I would also need a time machine that didn't spill the beer, and that that <laughs> that drove me that drove me to the early 19th century to let's say the 1830s, so I could ask him many things of how of how he was a self-made man, of how he got to be this kind of person. Okay, interesting. So, <laughs> but but Ignacio, if you're going to La Rioja. It's just better to get a glass of red wine. Okay, no? yes, then I, I will take wine. Oh, yeah, jokes apart. Um, <laughs> that's a very interesting uh, answer. As a second question, if you were to write the best entrepreneurial advice you have ever received on your doormat, what would it be? I'd say I had one company that was called Audens Auget. In Latin, it means like who dares wins, who is bold enough wins. That's a good entrepreneur advice. Do try, do 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 start your things. But I I do like more another saying, which is also in Latin, is who endures wins. It is more important to endure than to dare, in my opinion. So if I had to print that in my doormat, I would say who endures wins. Well, thank you. Um, I'm <laughs> going to write it down. I love Latin quotes. Uh, as as a third question. What's your favorite book or the most recent one that you've read? <laughs> if I have to say the truth, then I, I will say something like Matthias Sandorf. This is a novel by Jules Verne. And why is it my favorite model? I have to tell you, I was chased by my father uh, from the 
since since I was 14 years. You have to read Matthias Sandorf. You have to read Matthias Sandorf. This is a Jules Verne novel. And I didn't want to read it. I, I think this is surely a bore. I don't like Jules Verne and so on. But when I was 20, I was so sick of hearing my dad so finally, I read it. And it was quite good, I must say. So now I couldn't say anything different than my favorite book is Matthias Sandov. In fact, I have also been chasing my song, The, the Youngest, and it is also his favorite it's book. A, it's a vicious cycle, what, what is happening <laughs> in the Luque family. <laughs> that's right. Well, having said this, that's a wrap, no listeners. In this episode, we listen to Ignacio, CEO of Silbat. Ignacio, thank you so much for joining the show and best of luck for what's to come. Thank you, Ale. It was my big pleasure to be here. If you'd like to learn more about Silbat, visit their website at silbat.com and follow them on LinkedIn at Silbat. Don't forget to subscribe to Innostation, share this episode with a friend, and remember to get inspired by Innostation. Today, we had Ignacio Luque. Tomorrow, it can be you. Innostation is a podcast of EIT InnoEnergy Community, hosted by Alessandro Armenia, Content edition by Vedika Kulkarni and Dinay Mane. Outreach and communications by Madhav Uni and Wadarafi, our producer. Mm-hmm.